think one of the questions we have asked in breakout rooms is our favorite film uh, or some version thereof. Um, and what would be up there would be a tough question, but what would be up there for me would be Braveheart. And I'll just take it for granted that everyone's watched it. And I think that most of you enjoyed it. And there's this scene in Braveheart. Braveheart is, if you remember, Mel Gibson as William Wallace, um, this sort of liberator warrior um, for the Scots looking for independence. And there's a scene um, Wallace had had various victories, but then he had this big defeat. Um, but after that, he was beginning to regroup and, and, and get some more men together. And there's this scene in the English council where Longshanks, Longshanks is the English king who he's fighting against, has got his closest advisors around. And they're having this conversation as to what they're going to do now in this battle um, in Scotland. And Longshanks is told this by his advisors. Uh, talking about Wallace, he says, Wallace rallies new volunteers in every Scottish town. And Longshanks replies, they're sheep, mere sheep, easily dispersed if we strike the shepherd. Now, I don't know if the team, the director, the writer behind that film knew um, where they were getting that idea from, um, but certainly it's one reflected in the scriptures, in the words of the Pharisees, no less, in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, if you remember the story of the early church, it's after Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension and the apostles are carrying on his mission and the apostles are going around preaching and the Pharisees have had enough of it and they're having this conversation as to whether they're going to just take it out on the apostles maybe execute them um, and one Pharisee stands up in Acts 5 Gamaliel um, and he makes this very point and he quotes these other messiahs um, false messiahs if you like in the past because that's what they how they would have considered Jesus um, Thudas, uh, was killed and he says all his followers were scattered and then Judas the Galilean another he was too was killed and all his followers were scattered and so Jesus was killed and surely his followers will scatter or disperse as well strike the shepherd and the sheep will disperse and then we've no need to execute them so it begs the question we we're here 2000 years later, we're here with 2 billion reported Christians around the world. It begs the question, why did they stick together? Those early disciples in that early church? Why did they not scatter? Now, the answer in Acts 5 is God. I mean, just like God is the answer to most questions, I guess. If it is from God, if this movement, these apostles who are preaching is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. And that's the answer from Acts 5 on to the, the rest of the book. Um, he's making the point, do we intervene now or just, just see how it goes? And it goes well. But the other question is, well, up to that point, why did they stick together? Because they were together. Even after Jesus' death, when they were in fear of the Jews, they stayed together. They were locked behind closed doors in John 20. In Acts 1, before Pentecost, before God came afresh to his church in that way. In Acts 1, they were together constantly in prayer. Why? Why did the disciples stick together? And so I want to offer an answer um, this morning. One, just reading the Gospels of Fresh, focusing on Matthew, is that they stuck together because they were always together. They stuck together because throughout their time with Jesus, they just did everything together. They worked out their faith together. They did faith together. That's how Jesus interacted with them and gathered them. And it's quite clear when we 
sort of uh, take a glance through the Gospels that you can see this pattern. Let me give you a quote from John Wesley. John Wesley uh, was uh, a Church of England minister and started a revival um, 200 years ago. Um, and the legacy from that was the Methodist Church around the world. And his quote about community is this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Short, succinct quote, but quite profound, I think. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You know, how it is to practice your faith, to, to live out a Christian life, is not solitary. That's not what the Bible teaches. And when we look at the Gospels, I've been reading Matthew in particular this week, we see that those early 12 disciples they did faith together. When they were taught, they were taught together. When they observed healings and went around with Jesus, they did it together. When they went out on mission, uh, Matthew 10, they were sent out together. They were sent out two by two. The instructions they got at the start, the, the feedback at the end after their, their first little trip was together as a wider group. They did it together. When they they helped with Jesus when they interacted with some of what he was doing. They did it together. Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. Um, at the end of the gospel, when they to get the preparations together for the Last Supper, we have this recurring phrase throughout the gospel of the disciples, plural. Teaching, healing, doing stuff. It's the disciples, plural. They did it together. They did faith together. Now, I don't know if we always pick up on this, but that's how faith and living out the Jesus life is presented for us. Because for us, it cuts against our culture. The sea that we swim in is individualism, Western individualism, you know, looking after yourself, your own life, maybe your own family unit. And we're used to doing things together. But that is not what it was like for them, for the 12. See, there's this danger that if you see it as an individual, you, you come to church as the individual, then we're, we're not community if we come from that individualist perspective. And that is the, the sea that we swim in. We don't, we don't know how much, how strongly that influences. So there is this temptation to come along on a, on, on a Sunday and, and, and watch the show or consume. But actually, when we have those other voices on Zoom, people respond to actually... That's what we need. That's what we want. But it's not just that they did it together. It's that they worked out their faith together. They worked it out. They talked about it together. So there's lots of examples in the Gospels where they asked questions together. The disciples, plural, as a group, asked questions of Jesus. When they didn't understand the parables, they asked him what they meant. And when the Pharisees were responding to Jesus, they, they talked about that together. Um, when Jesus judged the fig tree and it withered, they asked Jesus about that. What was that about? Why, why did that happen? There's places where they discuss together. There's places where they ask a question of Jesus or answer it together. It was all together. They knew each other's voices, these different voices. They did it together. But what I, I really picked up on this week was it, it wasn't just this asking of questions but it was working out what they themselves believed, how they responded to it. Matthew 19, that we've had those two readings from, and thank you, Adele and Dawn. 
are two sort of touch button issues for us in our culture today, relationships and money. I mean, I mean, what else is there to talk about if you take relationships and money out of the agenda? You know, relationships and money are massive. How you get on uh, with your partner in marriage, what you do with your money, what you seek in life is it money are massive things. And on both those things, um, Jesus has these encounters side by side. And I think maybe part of the reason they're side by side is that you see the disciples' reaction. And it jumps out when these stories are side by side. They have the same reaction to both, that ultimately they just can't get it. They can't understand it. And it's not even they can't understand it, they can't accept what Jesus is saying. His teaching is too hard for them. They disagree with their rabbi, their master, their messiah. They, they disagree, they can't accept it, it's too hard. After marriage, after he's speaking about marriage being, being hard, and um, they say, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Wow. We live in this Western world where marriage is about your fulfillment, our romantic notion of marriage. And Jesus is laying it out saying, you know, it's about sacrifice. It's about sticking to one person. And they can't accept it. No matter how long they've been with Jesus and you know, getting his teachings. It's too hard for them to actually love someone else. And then money. This teaching where he's having this conversation with someone who is rich and it doesn't go well for that guy. And then he talks about how hard it is for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom. And the disciples are looking at each other going, what? Who then can be saved? And they even voice their disagreements to Jesus before Jesus, to the extent that they, they, they then rebuke Jesus in, in towards the end of the gospel when there's that lady who breaks, breaks the perfume and, 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 and puts it over Jesus as an anointing, as an offering to Jesus. They give out to Jesus about this waste of money. They're completely open about what they think. And they're open about when they can't agree with Jesus. There's no encounter in the gospel where, you know, the disciples are listening to Jesus do a bit of teaching and, and the crowd leave and he has a chat with the disciples afterwards and they go up and say, you know, nice sermon, Vicar. That, that was really good today. I like that. Um, they just said what they thought, even when they not only didn't get it, but they didn't like it. And I think you got to love that. They worked out their faith together. Let me tell you, there's nothing more frustrating for a preacher than to get that comment of nice sermon, that bland, vague, you know, it's there as a, as a compliment, you know, and it's friendly and that's all good. But actually, you've no idea if they took anything from it or what they think. We're called to follow Jesus. And that, that call happens in life, in our real life, 24-7. So it's two things coming together. It's Jesus and life. We, we meet Jesus primarily through the scriptures today, and, and we bring them into life. And so it can't just be that we, we say, yes, that's a nice teaching. So do we actually live that out? Can we live that out? And we have to have those conversations together like the disciples did. Uh, in our family, we're trying to practice a, we call it family time, just a little, I guess, scripture and, and, and prayer time together. We do it after dinner. We don't, don't do it every night, depending on soccer training or all that's going on, the business works best not to force it if we don't have the time. But, you know, three or four nights a week, we do it. 
And it's funny, um, I guess it's always funny doing it with kids, you know, they have different questions and different perspectives, but I get those answers. I just ask the same questions. Do you like that story? Um, you know, what do you think about? And, and I get the yes, no, it tends to be yes, you know, because that's the sort of answer, we'll move it on and maybe we can finish a bit, you know? And then I, I just have to throw in a question just to provoke, just to get a sense of what they're actually thinking, because I, I want, is this actually impacting your life? Um, so we're doing Luke at the moment and there's some miracles. And I'm like, do you believe that miracle? Yes, yes. No, I'm not sure that I do. And that's the question, that's the answer that I want. And, and we get a talk then about, about where life is actually like. Do we actually believe these stories? We get questions as to, well, if there were miracles back then, why don't we really see the same stuff now? And now we're exploring. Now we're working out faith, what we actually think together. And that's how it has to be. That's what the disciples did. That's why they stuck together, because they'd done all those chats. They'd been real and honest and open and raw and vulnerable together and worked it out. Not just try to believe the right things, knowing what the right answer was, but worked it out. I think we've got to do this. I think that's part of when we're going to commit together next week in recovery and service. It's this type of life and relationship of being honest and open. Now, I know when we talk about that, some of us find that easier than others. We're, we're different people, different personalities, different backgrounds and everything. And some of us, it's just easier. But surely there was those different personalities present in the 12 as well, who worked out their faith, who rebuked Jesus, who did that together. Surely there was those different personalities. What do you know about Thaddeus? Do you remember much of him from the Gospels? I had to do a little Google search just to make sure I was right. But Thaddeus is one of the 12, but we know nothing about him. He's mentioned only twice in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, and it's pretty much the same passage, just repeated. And he's only mentioned in the list of the 12. We know nothing else about him. There was nothing he said in his three years of following Jesus that any of the gospel writers thought worthy of recording about him. It's a bit of an insult, you know, for the next 2000 years of people reading these gospels. But maybe he was just a quiet guy who didn't want to say lots of loud stuff. Maybe that's just who he was. He was private. But yet within these 12, he was there when there was those disagreements. It's going to be different for different people. We're all different personalities, always have been but find a way of working out your faith together. Um, Phil and my wife probably over a year ago now, uh, but one of the ones that got us through the lockdown in part uh, is the two popes. I don't know if you've seen the two popes, highly recommend it. It's, uh, I'm not sure how much of it is true and how much is fictional. It's one of those ones with that, that, that big question attached to it. Um, but it's Pope Benedict is Pope at the time. And then Pope Francis is not yet Pope. He um, is Cardinal in Buenos Aires. And it's this interaction between them over a couple of years. And it's magnificently done. And it's two great actors. Um, but there's this scene uh, where Francis, um, he's not Francis yet, he's still a Cardinal. And um, he's going to Rome to see the Pope, Pope Benedict. And when he's there, he, there's this big soccer game on. He's Argentinian. He's a real man of the people when you see him walking around Buenos Aires. And so he just goes to this pub in Rome 
to watch the game. Um, and he's there, he's there in his, his full gear, you know, he's a cardinal or someone important. And they're watching the game. And Argentina score in the football. And so he just jumps up with everyone else in the bar and he's hugging the fans beside him, this man of the people. And then he says, can we pray? And so he prays this prayer and thanking God for the gift of Pepita. El Pepita means little pipe. And that was the nickname for uh, Higuain, uh, who was the striker who scored. So he prays his prayer in the bar with the fans, thanking God for him. And, and, and the fans say, amen. And then he says, and can we offer a prayer for the Pope as well? And the fan who's beside looks at him and says, the German? Let him bless himself, is the answer for the unpopular Pope Benedict. And it really struck me how the fan, you know, said amen for praying for the Argentinian, but wasn't going to do it for the German. Um, and, you know, where is our solidarity? Where is our community? For that fan, it was, it was an ethnic solidarity with his fellow Argentinians or with fans of football, if you like, over a common interest. Uh, less so um, for, you know, the spiritual connection with the Pope. But for the 12 disciples, we see this enormous connection that they have together. It's not just that they did faith together, and they worked out their faith together, but they had this common experience of Jesus. They experienced him together. Some of them were called on the very same day, that first day, four of them were called at the same time. This experience of, of God speaking to you and asking you to do something. Our sense of call, maybe, maybe our faith background and story, but even now today when God is calling us, is that shared? Do we share this? They had traumatic life encounters with Jesus. I think of two or three encounters out in the water alone when they were afraid for their lives or when they saw a ghost coming to them in the water, what they thought was a ghost. They shared those together and they were encounters of Jesus and with Jesus together. These traumatic experiences. And they experienced failure together and they must have talked about it because it came together. This failure when they were there as disciples, they had this reputation of being with Jesus and being known by him. And he was this great miracle worker. And these people come to him, this father with his, a boy who's possessed by a demon and say, maybe you could help him in the absence of Jesus. And they try and they fail in public, in front of others, when surely their hearts were longing to help this child. In public again, where when people are, are bringing their children to Jesus, they rebuke these people. They're, they become indignant and say, no, take the children away. This is Jesus, don't you know? And then Jesus rebukes them. Failure again in public. They, they, they must have talked about those things. We, I, just, I just think some of us feel like that at times. Some of us sense some of this. We might be feeling adequate in our faith. Maybe we just have points of that, times of that, seasons in our lives. I'm going to share that, like surely the disciples did the day after. Tim Farron uh, is a politician in England. Uh, I don't know if you know the name. He's uh, not too well known because he was a Lib Dem, which is the third party, the, the, the party that no one really votes for in England. And he was the leader of the Lib Dems. Um, and he, he had a tough time being a 
open and public follower of Jesus and being a politician. And questions kept coming to him um, about how his faith and his politics uh, interacted. And, and ultimately he just stepped down because he kept getting asked those questions. And when he talked afterwards, um, he talked about the importance of faith and how to actually live out that faith in that, in that environment. Um, and when he was interviewed, he talked about how he had conversations with new politicians. And he talked about how hard their life was because you often end up not being able to attend a small group. Sounds like a really small and simple thing, but it, I think he was from up, up north of England somewhere. Um, so he's down in London during the week and, and he couldn't do that. And he said it was a real problem for him and his family. And this is the quote that he put on it. He said, you can become a coal out of the fire. You become a coal out of the fire if all you do in your faith is go to church on a Sunday. That it lacked that sense of community for him, that sense of a place where he could share and talk and work out his faith together and experience Jesus together in that smaller place where a community people loved each other and felt accepted and could open up to one another. Um, and that was his biggest advice, he says. It was to stay rooted in a community of Christians. You know, and that's why those disciples stayed together. Straight after Jesus' death, they went through the most tremendous doubt and crisis of faith that I'm sure any group of Christians have gone through. When their leader was taken away and tried and beaten and executed before them, and they fled and they deserted him. What a crisis of faith. Yet somehow they stuck together. Because they'd always been together and shared faith together. So as we come next week to, to recommit to one another, I, I just encourage you to, to think, what are you committing to at this covenant service when we, we talk about journeying together? As we talked in our survey, the importance of different voices and of midweek groups and of, of, of real community so that we're not a coal out of the fire, but we have that shared heat to renew our passion and keep us burning. So let's think about that. Let's reflect on that as we commit. Let's think who's the person that I can be to engage with others and to, to open up that space with others and journey together. So let's pause and be still.